0: I also greet you in the name of Jesus this morning. Yeah, it's certainly been a blessing to be here. As we think about, um, first of all, we were thinking about God's mercy, His long-suffering. He's God of mercy. And I'm certainly glad this morning in my life that God has showed His tender mercy to me. And been long-suffering in my Sometimes very slow growth in my life. And certainly I'm sure this morning we're all glad that God isn't finished with us yet. And we certainly look forward to his continual mercy. But let's be sure that we are following him each step of the way. I just want to say a thank you for your prayers over the last weekend. We enjoyed our time at Bible school very much. Interacting with the young people. Um, ended up not being as light of a load as I thought it was going to be, and ended up with two chapel talks and then some interviews yet. So I think it was probably the busiest five days I've had ever in my ministry. As far as uh, revival meetings are usually once a day, once an evening, but this was like eight sermons in five days, so. Thank you for your prayers and that. It's a blessing to see young people seek the Lord, find traction in their life, repurpose their life in service. That's a tremendous blessing. This morning, I'd like to uh, think for a little while about some warnings and some things the Bible talks to us about. We know that the Bible clearly portrays the last days as being a time of many false prophets and deception. And I think we see that, we feel that. And so this morning I'd like to think for a little bit about what the Bible teaches us about true spirituality. How do we know in our hearts that we are a spiritual people? There's a lot of voices, a lot of people saying a lot of things. At times people accuse us of being just, that it's just man-made rules or something like that, that we follow. What does the Bible say? How do we understand and sort through all the voices that, that, the, that, that, we, that are around us, that we hear them? Turn to me, first of all, to Matthew 7. I'd like to look at several scriptures as an in- introduction. Matthew 7 and verse uh, 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. What is the foundation of our life in relation to truth? We talked about that a bit in the school lesson this morning. You know, the, the, uh, the, the, the whole idea of, of truth and what that embodies for us in strength. Now, I'd like to turn to Matthew 24. Matthew 24 and verse 24. I'm going to back up a little bit. Verse 22. And except those days, these are the last days, except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake those days shall be shortened. I don't personally think that's necessarily uh, saying of uh, a shorter than 24-hour period, but I think the duration of that time period is going to be shortened. In other words, God's eye is on his people in the last days. And he's not going to allow that to go too long, in the sense. Because the whole idea is, of course, the devil is seeking to destroy the the elect. Let's keep reading. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall rise false Christs and false prophets, And shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. So there we have Jesus' warning in relation to the last days and the fact that there's going to be many that arise as false Christs, presenting a false Christianity. And they may even show great signs and wonders that will attract a lot of attention. And of course, but the devil is behind it because they. it says there that they shall seek to deceive the very elect. And Jesus has told us this beforehand so that we understand it. Now let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Again, a familiar passage. Second Timothy 3 and verse, verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. And I think today we'd have to say that perilous times are here. For men shall be lovers of their, of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Notice the deceptive part of this. Having a form of godliness it, it, that can appear or almost seem, you could say, like true Christianity, and yet it is false. A, f- a form of Christianity, but they deny the power. It's not from within. It's not from a relationship with Christ. And so that is part of the last days and the perilous times. It's a time where special discernment and true spirituality will be very important for God's people. I'd like to do one more scripture here now before we go further. 1 Timothy four and verse one. First Timothy four one. This is the Holy Spirit speaking to us this morning. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, or in other words, clearly. And to the to the situation. The Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times. Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a, with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. And, and so on. He, he talks about um, verse 6 if, if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, Thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith, and of good doctrine whereunto thou hast attained. The the concern here that Paul had in writing to Timothy was to understand the seduction of the last days, and in relation to understanding what is true spirituality, what is true Christianity. Because as we all know, the whole term of Christianity is just, is so broadly interpreted it can mean almost anything. And so this morning, what does God say? What does God help us do, to know? And how will, how will we discern what is the truth and what is, what is error? And we understand how deceptive some of this can be because, you know, it, it sounds right. and it's, it's said in the name of Christ, and, it's, and it's, um, it, it can sound so close to the truth, and yet it is, it is wrong. It is, it is an error. And so this morning, how do we evaluate spirituality? I'd like to turn now to to, uh, Matthew chapter 7, the beginning of that chapter. Well, It's more the middle of the chapter. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15. How do we evaluate spirituality? And this, I think we need to be careful that while this relates to an evaluation, maybe in other situations, we have to, first of all, be willing to evaluate ourselves. Matthew 7 and verse 15, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. And so sheep's clothing is, in other words, it's a form of, you could say, Christianity. It's a form of of truth that can look like truth, but it's not, because because, um, inwardly, but inwardly, they are ravening wolves. So you have a, a person, you have something, someone presenting themselves in sheep's clothing. In other words, they, it appears right, but underneath, it's all hypocrisy because there's a wolf underneath. And that's the true nature of it. It's actually a wolf, not a sheep. They only appear that way. They appear in sheep's clothing. But inside, they are very destructive, and they are looking for prey. Verse 16, Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And then he goes on to talk about the, um, what we read before, the uh, foundation under, under the, uh, the building and whether it will withstand the floods. And so in thinking of this this morning, Jesus gives a very simple way in which we can understand the, the spirituality of a person's life, and our own life as well as as others. He says, by their fruits you shall know them. Now, I would like to just think about that. Spirituality, or we say true spirituality, is not known by merely analyzing what a pers- person professes to believe. Now, <clears throat> it is what we believe is important. There's no doubt about that. We, we know that. But to un- analyze and understand true spirituality, that is not known by merely analyzing what a person professes to believe. We may come back to this a little bit later. But someone may say, yeah, but you can't see into my heart. Have you ever heard that? Someone said, yeah, but you don't know what's going on. You know, you can't see in my heart. In essence, Jesus is saying, you don't have to see what's going what's in someone's heart. Jesus said, you judge them by their fruit, not what they profess to believe. He said, many are going to come saying, you know, Lord, Lord, and we've done all these things. Jesus said, not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, is going to make it. That's what they profess to believe. That's what they profess as their spirituality. Don't be deceived by that. Jesus said, you look at, their, at, their, at the fruits of their life. Look at their actions. Look at what they're doing. That's how you tell what's going on inside. So I've had that thrown at me many times. Yeah, but you don't know what's going on. You, know, you can't see my heart. Jesus says, just look at the fruit. You don't really have to see the heart. And remember, on Judgment Day, we're going to be judged by our actions. We're going to be judged by the fruit of our life not by what we profess to believe. Spirituality is not hidden away in the heart of a person. There are things that are hidden from people for many years, possibly even all of life, but, but true spirituality is never hidden away in the heart of a person. I think it's going to show, it's going to reveal itself. It's, it's why Jesus said, you know, by their fruit of their life, that's how you know them. A person's level of spirituality is consistently on display to those around them. First, uh, First Thessalonians 1 and verse 8 there, Paul writing to the Christians in Thessalonica, and he said, Your faith to Godward is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. It was just spread abroad. You know, the people, they were just talking about it. Those faithful believers of Thessalonica and how they just stood, uh, stood firm and true. And if you remember reading in the in the Martyrs' Mirror and some other sources of history that the Church of Thessalonica still had a faithful faithful body of believers there right to the Reformation time, and there was a group of them that went to to meet with some of the Anabaptists because they they uh, had heard about them and they wandered and, if, and they they found out that there was still a faithful. Small group of believers at Thessalonica all the way from the time of Paul. They, they were firm. They were, the truth went out. They stood on that. That's a blessing. Now what are some evidences of true spirituality? I'd like to turn to another passage now. Uh, Philippians chapter 2. And just go through some of these verses and see what what we have here in relation to <clears throat> evidences of True Spirituality. How do we discern the voices? How do we understand our own hearts? How do we understand those around us? I'm going to read these, um, some of these verses. I know they're familiar, but they continue to speak to our hearts. Philippians 2 and verse 1, I'm going to read down to verse 16. They would like to look at some of the principles here as it relates to evidences of true spirituality. Philippians 2, one. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Every knee should bow of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure." Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless as sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. If we have the mind of Christ this morning, as this passage refers and talks about we will be truly a spiritual person. Notice, first of all, that Christ-likeness is the primary evidence of of genuine spirituality. And Paul here talks about his relationship with the believers. He talks about his relationship with Christ. And he talks about Christian growth and all all of these things, and the humility that Christ displayed. And so Christ-likeness is the primary evidence of true spirituality. The whole idea of the name Christian comes of course from you know back goes back to Antioch there where the Bible says that they were first called Christians there because they as the people watched them they said well these people are like that Messiah they're like that Christ they're acting like him they're mimicking him they're like little Christ and so it's not just a name a person takes but really in the in the true meaning of it it means that there's a Christ likeness And of course, like I said earlier, today in today's world, that whole idea of Christian doesn't mean a lot in in the way it's interpreted most times. But Christ-likeness is the primary evidence of genuine spirituality. Now, notice um, the relationship here in verse 1. Any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any vows and mercies... Then he goes to verse 2, and we notice here that a spiritual person is attracted to other spiritual people. Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Our, there's a sense in which our individuality must be laid down in the, in the context of the body of Christ it is probably one of the single most struggles that that we all face at times in understanding the body of Christ. Because there's an individuality within each one of us that you, I, want to preserve some of that individuality. And yes, we are individuals, we understand that. God made us different vessels to portray and to... Um, to have that indwelling glory of Christ within us. But, but you know, the scripture repeatedly talks about the whole idea of the like-mindedness and the one accord and one mind. You go to the book of Acts and then the early church and the believers that were coming together. They were of one heart and one soul and one mind. And so that's going to be, I believe, always an indication Of true spirituality is the desire to blend our individuality and crucify that individuality, to have that all working together in a body of Christ, in an an individual congregation or a group of people. And so a spiritual spiritual person is attracted to other spiritual people. It says that ye be like minded and have the same love, being of one accord of one mind. Now, you think about this in relation to analyzing our hearts. And in other words, we could ask this question, who, who is or who are my most intimate friends? We all have a lot of friends. And we should have a lot of friends. We're funny to everyone in that sense, in the general sense. But finally, who do we have as our intimate friends? Who are the ones that we can go to and we enjoy sh- spending time with and sharing with? You see, it, has some, it says something about, you know, our level of spirituality. Our, our, you know, are we attracted to other spiritual people? Who do we look up to? Who are our heroes, in a sense? Who do we admire the most? Because the people that we admire the most are the ones that we're going to allow to influence us the most. Isn't that how the laws of social life work. The ones that we look up to and admire, the ones that we're going to allow them to influence us. And so, you know, choosing our closest friends is very, very important in relation to spiritual life. And Not only is it important to spiritual life, but also says something about our level of spirituality. And don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about that we're unfriendly to anyone. I'm not talking about that. But every every person has that, inner circle, we could say, of those close friends. And we allow those friends to influence us, those people. Another part of this, I believe, is a spiritual person does not seek for personal recognition or honor. Verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. I talked about the whole struggle with individuality. And with that, I believe, goes the whole struggle at times of how we view ourselves in relation to our brothers and sisters in the Lord. This is not necessarily referring out in the world or our relationship there. It could be, but it's primarily focusing on The whole thing of being of one accord, of one mind. And then he says, Don't let anything be done in a spiritual brotherhood, in a spiritual people, be done through strife or vainglory. You know, there's also with our individuality, at times, the struggle of independence. We like our freedom, we like our independence. But there's a, in, in in relation to spiritual life, again, it's something that we must lay down in Christ, in the body of Christ, and and therefore, each of us are going to need to lay down some things that we may that we may think are that are important to us. Not necessarily. I'm not talking about a sacrifice of Christian principle or the truth of God's word. But, you know, we can be so opinionated about certain things sometimes that it actually causes strife and it really involves this whole thing of vain glory. It's my opinion. It's my idea. It's the way I think it should be done. In the body of Christ, we bring those things to the foot of the cross. We allow those things to be... to be. Um, to be changed. We allow those things to be tempered with brotherly love. And the last part of that verse says, in each esteem other better than themselves. I may have an opinion. You have an opinion about a certain situation. Or, again, I'm not talking about biblical truth or absolute truth. I'm talking about just opinion. And sometimes we get our opinions mixed up sometimes and think they're biblical truth when, they, when they're not. But you know how that, how that, that can be. But when you boil it down, are we able to honestly hear our brothers and sisters out by being able to esteem the other better than ourselves? I've had this situation, I don't know if you have, when I thought my opinion was the right one. And <clears throat> I ran into some conflict with some other brethren who, this is... Years gone by, not in our setting right here. Just relax. And so I felt very strongly about this. Some others didn't always agree with me. But, you know, I found after um, embarrassing myself a few times and probably making a fool of myself a few times, that, you know, my brethren were exactly right. And I was wrong. If I'd have been a little more humble and listened to them start with, I wouldn't have had to make a scene. I could have learned some things. I, I still have to learn some of those lessons sometimes. I'm not... as you know, a person gets older, you... You uh, pull back a little quicker and understand some things. You understand what I'm saying? It's it's that each esteem other better than themselves. Our brother, might, our brother or sister might just have a better opinion, a better a better observation, a better a better viewpoint. That we could just learn from each other. And that's what God wants in the Christian brotherhood—to have that that kind of relationship. That I'm willing to honestly look at my opinion because I'm going to esteem my brother better than myself. And you can have a discussion, and maybe he's not always right either, and you can, you know, talk through things and learn from each other. That's what God wants in in a spiritual brotherhood. One of the things that has made more problems in church life, and the whole concept of church membership and all those things, are those strong individual opinions that people aren't willing to just let God mellow those, and blend those into a brotherhood so that there's strength there. Right with that, you know, a spiritual person seeks to honor and esteem others at personal expense, and I kind of refer to that, but, you know, you take John the Baptist there. You know, when Jesus came and, you know, and they, they, um, showed himself there, and the people were asking John who he was, and in all of that little confusion there, John testified of Jesus. He said, there's one coming after me whose shoes I'm not even worthy to untie them. And he said, he must increase and I must decrease. You know, and there's, there's a principle there, I believe, in relation to this whole idea of esteeming other better than ourselves. You know, that that we that we are here to serve each other. We're not here to be served by each other. We're here to serve each other. And in that kind of humility, and that kind of putting our brother and sister first, and their interests first, you know, and that kind of of, of honor and esteem to them, I believe is part of true spirituality. Verse four and verse six here. Verse 4, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And then in verse 6, speaking of Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. The whole idea there of thought it not robbery to be equal with God, he thought it was not something that's to be attained to. In other words, Christ did not hold on to his equality with God his Father but was willing to face that being, in a sense, uh, humiliated. Like in verse 7, he made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man. Christ did not hold on to his equality with the Father, but was willing to take on human flesh. That's what I believe it means in verse 6. But go back up to verse 4 here now, and you think about this idea that a spiritual person knows what it means to crucify selfish ambitions for the good of others. I know this relates to what we just talked about in relation to that humility and esteeming others better than ourselves. But I think that it, it, it closely ties in here and emphasizes this in verse 4. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also in the things of others. It means that we can have a very selfish outlook, I believe, in our human relationships, and I would say in church life. We can have a, a rather selfish viewpoint. And it says here that we are also to look on the things of others. It's not just what I get out of this, what I can receive, what is good, for I think, for me, but it's, but it's what I can give. It's what I can, can, can contribute to the, another's life. It's that sacrifice that we are part and parcel of each other's lives, like Paul says in another place. You know, if one suffer, all the members suffer with it, and uh, one member rejoices, all the members rejoice with it. One member is in grief, all the members grieve with that with that member. So that's what it means to not just think of myself, whether my feelings or my ideas, my opinions but to be concerned about my brother my sister and what is happening in their life and how I can encourage and help. So we don't look just on our own things, but also on the things of others. We have a mark of true spirituality. Also, another part of this, in verse 7, a spiritual person is willing to empty himself to be in the will of God. Christ made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. If Jesus Christ, the God of heaven, God the Son, was willing and made himself of no reputation, think about how much more our responsibility and the need for us you know, to empty ourselves to be in the will of God. Or how many times have we come up to face-to-face with a situation and say, well, I'm willing to go this far, but I don't want to go quite that far, you know. And another story of a young couple that were found the Lord and were and, and were, uh, endeavoring to seek the Lord and to find His will and way, and they were contemplating joining a conservative church, and and um, one of the parents of this young couple tried were trying to talk them out of it. And they said, um, you know, we understand that you want to be Christians, but we just, we're just really concerned that you don't become too radical. And we think that if you join a conservative church like this, you, you, you're becoming too radical. Don't get too radical about this thing of being a Christian. It just illustrates what I'm talking about. The willingness to surrender, the willingness to empty oneself to be in the will of God. That could apply to a lot of different angles in our lives. A spiritual person also desires to be a servant to all. We have that in verse 7. The example of Christ. There were those who wanted to serve Christ in a material way when he was here. And uh, you know how Christ said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve, in other words, paraphrase that, but I I didn't come to minister unto, I came to minister. And we understand, you know, in relation to spiritual life, that we we see ourselves clearly in that role of servant to others. That is what God wants in our lives. Well, a spiritual person is a humble person, verse 8. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, one of the most torturous ways to die that there is, even the death of the cross. A spiritual person is a humble person. Christ humbled himself to face that kind of experience and death. First of all, to becoming a man and then facing the cross. In our humility, we sometimes think, well, a meek person or a humble person is somebody that just doesn't stand for much like a pushover. Somehow we can get that concept mixed up a bit at times. You know, if I'm going to be a strong spiritual person, I'm going to, you know, have that strong opinion and, you know, really stand for truth. Well, we want to stand for truth. But, you know, there's a lot of power in doing it in a humble way. And in relation to our approach to others and our, our love for others and even our witnessing to others and our encouragement to our brothers and sisters and maybe it's giving the brotherly address or whatever it is. Humility always should, should uh, enclose or enshrine all those, all those aspects of our life. A spiritual person is a humble person, easy to address, easy to, to talk to, easy to give admonition to, because that person takes responsibility for themselves. I think we understand that in our own hearts, when we're truly humble as a spiritual person, you know, we're not going to be an argumentative type person. We're not going to be difficult to relate to. But we take personal responsibility for our own spirits within. Christ humbled himself, and we need to as well. Also, verse 8, a spiritual person has learned the disciplines of obedience. We have that in verse 8. Again, he became obedient unto death. Our obedience is always under test as it relates to the will and purposes of God in our life. It's always under test whether we will obey at this turn of the road or that turn of the road when God reveals himself to us. And so that's important that we understand the discipline of obedience. I would like to just make this point now. As we think about what we've talked about here from this passage, I think it's a very, very important principle as it relates to, and yet it's simple, understanding true spirituality. And it's like this. No one will, will ever be more spiritual than they are obedient to the revealed will of God. It's so simple, but brothers, sisters, this morning... It's one of the laws of the Scripture. Jesus has made it abundantly clear. We will never be more spiritual than we are obedient to the revealed will of God. People can claim all kinds of revelations. They can claim all kinds of opinions and all kinds of beliefs. But remember Jesus said there in Matthew 7, it comes down to the fruit of their life. That's what you look at. Is there obedience to the revealed will of God or is there not? And that involves all the things we talked about in relation to Humility and, you know, the um, emptying of self and esteeming others better than, than myself and all those things. When someone is claiming, you know, a high level of spirituality, but, but there's, there's a contradiction to what they're living out. Now, maybe it's lack of knowledge. You know, Apollos, you know, there in his life was preaching the baptism of John. You remember there how the Aquila and Priscilla took him aside? Because he was sincere in what he was preaching, but he was just a little off track. And they took him aside and they, they taught him more perfectly the way the Bible says. They helped him. But and Apollos went on to be even a more powerful man of the word and of spiritual power and blessed the people in his preaching. That humility. We don't find Apollos saying, oh no, I, I'm right, you know, I This is the baptism, you know, that I was taught, and this is, you know, he understood that because he was sincere, he was humble, and he took that help that Aquila and Priscilla gave him and went on to be tremendously effective in the scriptures. But where there's that resistance, and people understand that, and they, you know, there's times they can be deceived. We know that that can happen if they continue to turn against better knowledge. But remember this morning that no one will be more spiritual than they are obedient to the revealed will of God. And that's especially true for those who are moving away from truth. For someone like Apollos who was growing in his understanding of truth, he had that openness. He received it. But for someone that is walking away from truth, making wrong choices, there's a deceptive nature that goes into that. And somehow there can be that sort of justification you know, that this is, is still something that God would accept. When God clearly says in his word, he will not accept it. How do we grow in spirituality? How do we grow in our relationship with God? Very simple things. But just an encouragement again, to respond in surrender and obedience to God's will. We need those, our brothers and sisters around us to help us to see ourselves at times. You know, we talked about the whole thing of, you know, opinions and ideas and, you know, that we can hold to. And, and it's good that we're, we're not talking about sacrificing principles of truth. But let's be sure in relation to ourselves that there is not we're not blindsided somehow to our own, our own um, lack of surrender or, or, or unwillingness to respond. And Jesus said, if any man will do his will... He shall know of the doctrine. There has to be a willingness to follow in obedience the revealed will of God, and then we can know. But if I hold back and say, well, you know, I'm not quite willing you know, to go that far. I'm not quite willing to, to do all that. I'm not quite willing to, you know, if there's a lack of willingness on our part in any way in relation to the revealed will of God, you're not going to move forward. If any man will do his will, you will to do the will. Of God, and then you're going to know of the doctrine. So, a very important principle. So, respond, we need to continue to respond in surrender and obedience to God's will. We need spiritual discernment with who and what we allow to influence us. I'm especially burdened by this, not only for my own life and family, but especially for our brothers and sisters in our churches. The people of God today, we have an opportunity, there's an availability of many, many voices preaching a lot of doctrines, a lot of so-called truth, and it's always been an issue, and the Bible, we read some of those verses about the last days and the perilous times, the seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, and on and on it goes. It talks about these things. But if we're going to survive as a spiritual people, we are going to have to have discernment of what is the truth and what is not the truth. The availability of the many voices on social media ought to to be a real concern. And how we relate to this. I believe that from my perspective, at least, maybe my opinion, but I believe that this could very well be a major part of the deception of the last days. Like the scriptures we, took, we looked at. The, um, whether it's, you know, you can say it's in the name of Christian. It's this Christian Preacher, or pastor, that you know says this, and there's this article, and you know all the, all the voices out there. We can certainly cut many of them out, probably, but the point is that there is an influence that we can be exposed to. How are we going to sort through this? Are we a spiritual people that can understand error and not be deceived? There is also a principle related to this in relation to, I believe, spirituality as it relates to knowing truth. In 1 Thessalonians 5.12 there, Paul says, We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. The principle is that that we, we are to know them which labor among us. In other words, we need to know them that are preaching and teaching and influencing us spiritually. That's why I think we need to be so careful that you, you can, you know, you can. There's this um, message that you know is is, you know, you can listen to. There's this man um, that preaches it. What do you know about him? To know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord. Who are we allowing to influence us, and what do we know about them? We shouldn't not just simply go by the words that they speak or the words that they write. It was very interesting. There was a message that was circulating around some of our circles. <clears throat> I had passed it on to Brother Steve right before he came last time he listened to it twice. he said on the way up here, I believe, or at least once then and once later. but a brother sent it to me and said, "What do you think about this message that was preached?" I said, well, who is it, you know? So we got his name and didn't really recognize the name. Did some research, found out who he was. A Mennonite minister or bishop, I believe, from Ontario. Still don't really know him personally, but I know what group he's a part of and his church setting and everything. Um, it was interesting there, at Bible school, and the teachers studied lounge there. Um... Steady room, steady room there. We got to talking about some things and then this message came up. and It was interesting. Some of The first thing the brethren asked was, well, who is he and where is he from? And I thought it was just interesting. Know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord. You know, uh, we, we need to know the, the life of the person that is influencing us and teaching us because that's a part of of uh, preserving a carefulness, a spiritual discernment, and <clears throat> where otherwise the message may sound good, but you don't really know the life of that person. What is the fruit of their life? You don't know. Well, Jesus said, "We're know them by their fruits." That's how we're going to discern these false prophets and these, you know, these people that are that are out there in sheep's clothing. They look Christian. Sound Christian, but they're wolves. Discernment. So let's exercise spiritual discernment with who and what we allow to influence us. We need to deepen close fellowship with those around us who are spiritual. Again, the familiar scripture, we, I think I refer, referred to this recently in a message, Matthew ten twenty four to twenty five. There, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, which we often think about church services, and that's certainly an important part of it. But as I said some time back, I think that also means that togetherness that we need to have. You know, we haven't had a fellowship meal for quite a while now, and I I miss that. I know it's a lot of work, and you know our building isn't hardly big enough, you know, and all that, but. But we need that kind of relating together. We haven't even had a picnic for how long now. It's just, you know, together as a congregation. I miss that. Church services are the most important, but after that there's all that social and the times we can discuss things and interchange with things, understand each other's hearts, understand each other's thoughts, and we, we can... That's part of us pulling together and relating together and it's part of going to be our strength in these last days. Fellowship with those who are spiritual. Exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Again, study the scriptures, be a student of the scriptures, read other good books, deepen your knowledge. All those things are important. What what do we allow into our lives? You know, by way of, you know, Maybe it's work or situations, we're traveling, whatever it is. What are we allowing to influence us? Which is, well, I've told a few brethren, I mean, thought of already of starting sort of almost like a book club. We can call it that among our, our just our, our congregation. You know, that we could actually exchange ideas, you know, like what to read or maybe a good message, what to listen to. And, um. And just to, to pass that around so that we all can benefit from that. I don't know if there'd be enough interest for that or whether it'd be helpful or not. But but you understand my concern or my, my thought is that, you know, just to encourage that reading and studying and, and deepening our knowledge. There's so many things that we can, we can do that with. Concentrate on deeper fellowship with God in prayer. I know we're a praying people. But if you're like I am, we could always do better. We could always do more. That's there's power there. Open ourselves to the observation and insights of others. You know, other other of our brothers and sisters in the Lord in relation to this idea of true spirituality, they can see the fruit of my life. You can see the fruit of my life. I can see the fruit of your life. They help each other with that. That we don't, um, we, we can grow and there's times that, you know, we need that, uh, that observation, that insight. And well, brother, you may, not realize, you may not realize how this appeared, but this is how it appeared to others. Because we're blind sometimes to our own faults and, and, and failures. And so we can help each other. Seek to honor and esteem our brothers and sisters. You know, this is the body of Christ for us. This is the body of Christ for us. I was thinking about sitting here in the beginning of the service. And I know we can't visualize this, but just suppose this was 2,000 years ago roughly and and Christ would have walked into this synagogue or this service in person. What would you do? Well, you'd find him a good seat and you'd make sure he has a psalm book and, and, and you would just... Christ is here in body. I mean, in person. And we can hardly imagine that. But Christ is here in body. It's us. Members of the body of Christ. And what I do for you, you do for me, is the same thing I would do if Christ would walk in in person and I would i want to share my psalm book with him. Not sharing a psalm book, I'm not saying that's an issue, but you understand what I'm saying. I would want to do whatever I could because Christ is here. And how often do we get that Christ is here? This is his body for me in our local congregation. When I serve you, I serve Christ. When I receive from you, I receive from Christ. Let's continue to allow God's Spirit to encourage us and help us. God has given us so many opportunities to encourage and challenge each other in our love for the truth. Are we perfect? No. But we're sure as sincere as we can trying to work on that imperfection by the grace and power of God. That that humanity would just keep being diluted and flushed out of our lives by the power and the grace of Christ. God can accept us in our humble desire to be a faithful people. Let's kneel to pray. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your loving kindness. And that your mercy endures forever. Father, we thank you for that. For the mercy you've shown to us each personally in our lives to allow us that relationship with you through forgiveness and repentance. Father, we pray this morning you would continue to bless us as we strive to continue to grow in our relationship with you and with each other. That we would truly be that spiritual people that you want us to be. And where there's areas that we need to, Father, grow and maybe face some chastening or whatever it is in our lives, May we be willing to accept that, to have that humble, submissive spirit as your your people. And whatever the struggles are this morning, in each life, individual battles, whether spiritual battle, relation to temptation and sin, or just maybe discouragement, maybe sickness, whatever it is, Father, we just pray that you would continue to bless us, give us your grace. Help us know how to relate together as a spiritual people. And we can continue to grow in this, to encourage and help, and to bear each other's burdens. There are many burdens to be borne. And we can help each other, Father. Help us to know how to encourage and lift the weak hands and strengthen the feeble knees in this, our time. We pray this morning for the many in the world who are facing very um, difficult circumstances. We especially pray for the situation in Ukraine. Father, may there be peace. We especially pray for the Christians there. We thank you that many of them were able to flee the area. But we know there are some that are still left there and face the hardship destruction of war. We pray for them, Father. They might find your peace, your grace, and strength to endure to the end. May your purposes, Father, be done in the whole situation of world affairs. There's a lot of things happening. We don't understand it all or actually very little of it. But we watch and, Father, help us to be reminded that your return is near at hand. Many signs of your coming are happening all around us. Help us, Father, to be prepared and waiting and watching for the sound of the trumpet and, our, and the call for us to enter your eternal kingdom. May we each be ready. We ask the name of Christ. Amen. <coughs>